Uh, well, we're going to be in your, our Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 14 through 28. We're going to be in verses uh, 14 through 28 this morning as we continue our series through the book of Luke called The Compassionate Conqueror, where we really see, I just think, and this, this is not an exception this week again, where we just see Christ's power, that he is, he is God himself, that he brings, he, he brings all authority and power, that he is, he is the conqueror of sin and death, and he brings in a remarkable compassion. We, we really just see just, just God's care for individual sinners and to, to step into human brokenness, and we see that again this morning as well, both his, his deity and his compassion on full display again in our passage this morning. But by way of introduction, I, was, I remember in, in college, uh, there was a time when we were sitting in class and a fire alarm was going off in, 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 the, in the building we were in, and we were sitting there. And there had been kind of some issues with the alarm system, you know, recently. So as we're hearing the alarm going off, our, our professor was just like, hey, don't go anywhere. Just stay in your seats. I'm just going to teach through it, you know, just kind of one of those moments. And just thinking it was part of the faulty system and all that kind of stuff. Like, just, just keep going, you know, not for us. And you, but you're hearing it, right? And as you're sitting in class, you're kind of wondering, like, hey, the alarm's like, it's kind of distracting. Like, it's what we're hearing right now. And people are leaving the building. Like, it feels like we should leave, but the professor just keeps going, so you keep going. And, and it was a weird mix for about 10 minutes as we're sitting there. And just to be clear, I feel a sense of responsibility. If you hear a fire alarm, please leave. Like, let me just, let me just be clear about that. Leave the room. I don't want to... Uh, just because I didn't once, that's not permission. Um, but it's this weird mix as this is happening, right? And kind of growing discomfort because like, it feels like you're supposed to respond to a fire alarm by leaving the building, but we are also growing in comfort because the professor's telling us to stay there and all this kind of stuff. And like, it didn't feel warm. We didn't see flames. So it felt like, all right, maybe we're all right with this one. And then the fire department arrives and they come into the classroom. I mean, is like, they're very kind. I mean, they're, they're heroic people, but like, they're angry at the, like, what are you, you hear the alarm, like, you need to leave the room. So they have some words for the professor. But then they're looking around us like, you're all adults here, right? Like, you're allowed to leave. Like, this is, you know, and they kind of had like, when the alarm goes off, you need to heed the warning. I mean, they were just making it like, there's a reason the alarm is happening. You don't need to sit there and judge how warm it's getting. Like, the alarm is there for a reason, should be heated, get up out of your seat and leave the building, right? Okay. In, in our passage this morning, there, there's several denials of Jesus Christ. Some of them are quite loud and they're obvious blasphemy. And some of them are subtle. Some we think we'd never be tempted to. But I think there's some when we look at them up close, we, we see as Jesus identifies certain categories of deniers, we can see that we might be deniers in disguise, that we can relate to some of the ways we might deny. And as Jesus gives a warning in this passage, as we see ourselves as deniers of him, we should have an alarm going off in our mind. And we must heed what he says. Main point of this morning's passage is right now God offers deliverance for deniers. Heed his voice while you can. Right now God offers deliverance for deniers. Heed his voice while you can. And so with that, we're going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. So I'm going to ask if you're able, if you could stand as we read God's word together. Again, we stand just as a way of showing our reverence and respect for the word of God. Now, as he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others detest him 
kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places. Seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which you nursed. But he said... Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. Well, you may be seated. Again, that main idea we're going to be looking at this morning is right now God offers deliverance for deniers to heed his voice while you can. We're not going to have formal points this morning. I'm going to have a, a couple of categories. But, but I'm wondering, what we're going to do is we're just going to reread the passage, but, but just take it a little bit out of a time and, and just look section by section at what's there and, and see how it applies to our lives and, and at the end try to seek to look towards application together. Because this is one of these passages, right? There's, there's a lot going on. There's several different sections and there's, there's names that are hard to pronounce. And I'll just say I'm probably going to mispronounce some names ahead of time, right? Like, but, but what we see here is God's warning to deniers. But we also need to see our propensity to be amongst them. So again, beginning in verse 14, it says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. So just to, just to start out, there, there's a man who had a demon, and this man was now mute because of the demon. Now, pretty quickly, the story is going to move on from this man, and it's going to move on to sort of this interaction with the crowd and to these people sort of accusing him of being with Satan. So the story's about to turn. But because it, it turns pretty quickly to these people marveling and blaspheming against what Jesus did, it's easy to miss that once again, our story starts out with Jesus once again entering into our humanity and, and having compassion for, for broken humanity, that immediately we see Jesus care for the needy. And so there's this man who was mute, who could not speak, which would be hard, right, in any age to, to, to have that. But this is a culture, right, where, where few read, where few wrote, where you passed on information through the legal, or through the oral tradition, right? So to not speak in any day would obviously cut off communication, but, in, but today, right, we, at least there's a sense of we could get tools and you know, right? To, I, I don't know. Like, this isn't a day where, right, you could pull out your laptop and have Google read your thoughts or whatever, right? This is, this is devastating to be in this condition. But, but it's not just that he couldn't speak. It, it was even worse in that he could speak, but his tongue was bound by this oppression, by this ever-present demon on his life. So in a sense, he had the knowledge of how to speak. He had the it wasn't a physical inability, but he was constantly tormented by this presence that kept him from speaking. It made him mute. He had the, the knowledge in here, but, he, but he, couldn't, he couldn't get it out. And just for a moment, do, do, do you see this man's pain that he has just endured? Right? He, he knows 
what to say. He knows how to say it. Yet all of his thoughts, all of his hopes, all of his emotions, just a word away, and yet he can't say it because he was just, he was under this oppression. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, not, not, not that you can't speak, but, or, or even the presence of a demon, but I, I can't do what I want to do, and I, I don't have the power to do it. I, I have the desire to do it. I even think I know how to do it. It seems so simple to do it, and yet I'm just unable to do it, and I'm defined my, by my inability to do so. And so in this man's life, Jesus steps in because, again, he comes for the weak and the broken and the powerless. And in a moment, all will be different for this man. So it says in 14 and 15, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So immediately the Entire reality of this man was different. Jesus breaks in in his mercy, and it is unmistakable what happens, right? All who see it marvel. This man was known. This, his condition was public. No one mistook this for sort of a magic trick that Jesus was traveling town to town to do. His voice was restored. The oppression was released. The demon was gone. But some said he, he, he casts him out, or he does this by the power of Beelzebul, who is the prince of demons. We see him earlier mentioned in the Bible, Beelzebul, in, in, se- in 2 Kings chapter 1, as Elijah announces Ahaziah for, for going to Beelzebul rather than for fine, for, for, to God for healing. So there was sort of the debate over who, who Beelzebul was. Some thought he was maybe a head demon or a more powerful demon, or some thought he was Satan himself. And so there was sort of a debate over who the exact identity of him was. But it's really not important. Everybody just thought that he was... This was with Satan. So if you're with Beelzebul, you're with Satan. So Jesus is doing this by the power of Satan. He's teaming up with Satan. So we see here that there were the, those here who were denying his power. And in a sense, of, if, you, if you want to have a heading that sort of denying his power would be, would be a heading for sort of this passage that, that, that there, there are these who are, who are denying his power. And how do we deny his power? But, but to be clear, they're not simply misidentifying, okay, where did that power come from? Okay, was it Satan's or was it God? You know, where is this from? What, what they're doing, is, this is blasphemy, right? This is the holy God. And they're not only saying it's not the holy God, it's something less than the holy God. They're saying it's the evil one. Now, imagine, I, I know we can't put our, our, ourselves in the mind of Christ, but just to try for a moment. Imagine being Christ for a moment. Not only have you left heaven to come to earth to rescue sinful man, right, right after you've performed a miracle, proving your unique power, showing unique mercy and compassion on, on, on the human condition, you then immediately hear, hey, whose side is he really on here? What, what power is he using? Is he, is he with Satan? Is he maybe with the prince of evil himself? J- just to say, the fact that there's more story to read the fact that he didn't just obliterate everyone in that moment is, is pure mercy. The fact that there's more story to, to read and, and comprehend is his mercy. But as we read it, we should hear an alarm bell going off and what he's about to say. Now, just to, to say, I know none of us would credit God's work with Satan, right? I, certainly not. I, I don't think that's a temptation for someone in the room. 
But, but I do wonder if you've ever credited his work with something less than him or something other than him and that you've maybe given glory or, or false credit to something less than him. That there are so many people that, 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 that view the events that take place in their life that happen to line up a certain way and they just say, man, what, what coincidence that happens to be or by chance this happens or just they, they see things as naturally occurring events that sort of led to a certain place rather than the sovereign God of the universe directing his world. Just to be clear, coincidence isn't a thing. It has no power, this random structuring of events. God d- d- directs his universe. But I wonder even for, for more in this room, have you ever just thought of some work done in you or, or through you, some, some blessing in your life, some, some growth in your life? Have you ever will falsely put most of the credit, most of the primary way, reason that was done is because of me? It's because of, here's, here's what I've done, here's what I've contributed, here's, here's the way, it's been about my gifts and my faithfulness, my good decisions, my wisdom, it's, it's been primarily about what I've contributed, and you've, given, and you've given credit to something far less than God, who is the one working and giving good things. So have you ever, some way, contri- have you ever attributed something of God to something less than God, and in a way that is denying His power, it's minimizing His power? Verse 16 says this, while others, so there's this group that accredited it to Satan, but it says in verse 16, but other, while others to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven, but knowing, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them. So before getting to what he said, just again, there, there's these here who attribute his work to Satan, and that's easy to spot. When, when somebody's crediting, hey, I wonder if this is from Satan, that, that's easy to spot the blasphemy, right? But there's this whole other group it's following them around. They're watching miracles take place. And they're standing there. You know what? We haven't seen enough yet. Now we know what we just saw. But we haven't seen enough. Yeah, and I wonder if in some way we can relate to that. Hey, they know what they just saw but are thinking it's not enough. Hey, I know what this book says. But if we've ever had a moment in our life where, but God... You still need to prove yourself to me. You still need to prove your power or your love or your wisdom. You haven't quite proven yourself enough to me yet. Just a note, we're all born with the pride and arrogance of man. We're all born as, as creatures at times thinking this of our creator, of the one who is saved, saying this to our savior, of, of the sinner saying this to the one who is holy. You still need to prove yourself to me. I still have subtle denial of your goodness or your power or your wisdom. So, so how does that show up? Let me just say this. I think suffering has a way of coloring our perspective, of making it seem that our hardship and our circumstances is is more accurate and more accurately defines who God is and how he's working than what this book says he is and how he works. Trials have a way of distorting our view on reality and who God is. Circumstances where he is not readily visible in the real time in the way that I would like him to be readily visible has a way of making us think, "Why? I know what I've seen. I know what it says, but he still has to prove himself to me. So I don't think we'd be tempted to, to look at this book and deny him. 
But I think most of us can look at our lives and functionally do so. But Jesus, proving himself yet again, answers their unspoken and silent charges, proves himself God by knowing their thoughts and answering them. And just be clear, he's sovereign God. He doesn't owe explanations. He doesn't need to give more evidence. And yet here he gives again. His, listen, in his, it's his mer- he doesn't owe an answer. They owe him worship. But yet in his mercy, he chooses to answer. And he answers with giving two analogies. It says in verse 17 through, t- through 20, every kingdom that divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So basically, to those who deny his power, whether, whether it be subtle or blasphemously, he says, okay, let, let's just use logic for a moment, right? If I was with Satan, why would I cast out a demon, right? A divided house, divided kingdom is laid to waste, right? Divided anything, it's not going to last, right? Divided church, divided marriage, divided locker room, it just, it just falls apart. So no, I wouldn't try to defeat Satan if I was with him. Why would I undermine my own side? It's sort of like, there's just sort of a logic to this. But he says, rather, I do it by the power of God in verse 20. It's evidence that the kingdom of God is now here. Not only am I not using his power, I'm defeating his power. Jesus is sovereignly controlling the universe and everything in it. It's all his. And so don't, basically don't reduce anything good happening to anything less than him. And he uses a second analogy where he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor for, in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So, in the second analogy, he basically says, listen, not only am I not on his side, just to be clear, I'm, I'm the one who is stronger. I have bound him and I have defeated him, right? The illustration here is that there's a well-armed castle that rules over others, and he thinks he is safe because he has guards, because he has walls. But I came and I conquered him and I bound him. So, he, he's still at work, but he's bound by me. I'm, Jesus Christ is the stronger one. I'm not going to spend long on this point, but just to say at the cross and resurrection, reality was fixed. Jesus is victorious. Satan is bound. There is more power living in you. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is is at work in you. And it's more powerful than whatever the enemy has. So we don't have power inherent with us, but we have a remarkable supply of power coming to us. Now again, as I think of our temptation to deny his power. I'm not, again, really concerned that some here are crediting God's work with Satan's and blaspheming his name. But I think we can can be tempted to a subtle denial in our lives, in in our own lives of just, where we we aren't convinced of his power. Here's what I mean. When 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 we're anxious, when we're fearful, when we're living in worry, what is that? Other than, God, you don't seem in control, or you don't seem wise, or you don't seem that you care, so rather than trust, I worry. When one is disappointed in what it appears the Lord is doing, 
or they're disappointed in his timing or his answer to prayer or in his seeming slowness to bring justice to a hurting world. I'm denying his, his power and his wisdom because I'm trusting in my own sense of what's supposed to be at this moment. We've been, like I'm sure most of you, we've been praying for, for names that folks in the church have written down, names, names on ribbons that you know, po- folks know, have been praying for to come to know the Lord. Mo- most, or each night, or most nights at dinner, we, we take time to pray as a family for, for the names. And, but just th- thinking about you know, praying for the lost, and just, you know, it's not just these names written down on ribbons, but we, we pray for, for many names and many people that we know. And there's been one name I've been praying about for 25 years. And just be honest, I begin to lose heart when, when I'm praying for the same name time and time again. What's happening when I'm losing heart is I'm subtly denying his heart to and his power to save. What I do when I turn to me for strength. Now, listen, I never intend to turn to me for strength, but it's in fact what I do when I don't turn to him for strength. When I look inward for his power, when I look inward for power, here's what happens. I'm denying his power. Not, not verbally. I'm not saying, Adam, you're the source of all strength in life, but it's just how I'm living when I'm not turning to the actual source of life and power. See, some of these can just appear so subtle. It can appear that we're not denying his power or his wisdom. But Jesus is about to set off the alarm for us because he concludes the analogies with a stunning statement, which if we can relate to any of those things that we just said should be noisy in our ears and it captures the danger, danger of denying his power. And a second denial we'll see in just a moment when he says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's making the point of denial is dangerous. Next section we're we'll looking at is, is really how we can also not just deny his power, how we can deny discipleship. So basically he's ending that section, beginning the section with, okay, those to, to, the rebuke to those who are questioning his power and his allegiance is obvious. Listen, there, there's no, like, he, he's God, the kingdom is here. Those who blaspheme him, his name, they're, they're clearly wrong. But he's also speaking to that crowd that finds themselves, they, they find themselves and they would define themselves as in the middle. We just want a little bit more. We're basically on the fence. He, he's basically saying, hey, make no mistake. It's the same fate, same unbelief. It's, it's choose me or not, but there is no middle ground. There is no sort of, uh, well, you know, I'm just having, you, there is no sort of like, okay, as long as I don't blaspheme, I'm okay. He's saying, no, you either, you are for me or you're scattered. And then in verses 24 through 26, it says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Okay, that's a tricky passage. and won't get into all every technical detail of it, but basically he's saying when Satan comes to tempt, so Satan at some point goes to tempt a belief of a person, and when he finds that that person has made sort of, sort of cosmetic changes to their life, but there's not an actual different presence in their life, 
He's going to come and, and tempt harder than before. Basically, if somebody wants to give lip service to change, if somebody wants to find their solution in temporary self-reformation rather than repentance and faith, if, if there's a person who, who sees, oh boy, yep, what, you know, sort of certain things I did were bad, that led to bad fruit. Okay, I'm going to make some temporary lifestyle decisions. I'm going to put on a few good habits. There's no use to that. Here's what actually changes us. Repentance and the Holy Spirit being active in us, that is what changes you. So, just be clear, all, all still sin, but there are, are some people who have, in a sense, made a, a type of peace with part of their conscience. And so, rather than giving it all to Him, they just are comfortable with pockets of doubt and unbelief and lust and selfishness and, and pride and who are sort of content with the way they've been able to sort of keep up appearances in their own heart that they've made a sort of peace, that they think they've got it under enough control by their own power. And Jesus is sounding the alarm. He's saying, no, no, there's no middle ground in calling me Lord. There's, there's no, not, not a square inch that's not His. He requires total discipleship. Now again, I don't think anybody in this room would deny that. But I think there may be some who don't fully walk in this, who seek self-reformation, who seek self-improvement rather than Holy Spirit reformation being poured into our lives, who seek self-power, not the power of God that we depend on, who want to look the part and are content with looking the part on the outside, but not living with a, a heart transformed by holiness and pursuing holiness to the fullest. And the passage concludes, finalizing the point, in verse 27 and 28, it says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. So as they hear all this, person cries out, blessed is the womb that bore, that bore you. Basically, it's the sense of wonder. It's the sense of something is different about Jesus. Jesus speaks like no other. He's, he's different. Blessed is the one who even brought you into the world. Not only are you blessed, you're so blessed, but blessed is the one who brought you into the world. In some ways, it, it's a shot. It's a, it's a, they're, they're showing respect and honor, but they're also showing that they're missing it to some degree. My... Um, well, I'll just say, I'm going to say this as objective fact. Turkey Hill ice cream is the best ice cream that, that you can buy. It's, um, you can debate it. Um, you're going to lose the debate. I just want to uh, be, you can, of course, you can have your own opinion. Um, but if it's contrary, it's wrong. I just want to be clear. And the best flavor of, of Turkey Hill ice cream um, available at your local grocer is, is chocolate peanut butter cup. So it's this, it's this wonderful chocolate ice cream. And they do it with like these peanut butter, like ribbons, like swirl throughout it. It's, it's fantastic. I don't, you can have a peanut allergy. I encourage you to eat it. If you <laughs> can't do dairy, um, you can do this one. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, and I've, I've been going, I, and I've liked Turkey Hill ice cream for, I'm, I'm, I'm over four decades now strong of, of liking Turkey Hill ice cream. And in college, uh, I was casual friends. I was kind of friends with the friends with, with the son of the owner of Turkey Hill, right? So he's part of the family that owned Turkey Hill ice cream and we're kinda, we were casual acquaintances kind of thing. There's a guy named Chad. And he was the kid, like every girl in my, in my college like had a crush on him, right? Because he, you know, he came from money and he was you know, that guy, but he, 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 he dressed nice. He seemed to be a good looking guy. Like he was very nice to people. Like, you know, the things that make commendable men. Um, you know, he was one of these guys. He had hair. Yeah, it's overrated. He was overrated in every way. Um, yeah. 
so, so all the girls had a crush on Chad, and I'll be honest, I had a little bit of a crush on Chad because <laughs> he was, mine was purely dairy related. He was the heir to the ice cream dynasty, right? So I just, you know, I really liked Chad. And so friends, like I would talk about Turkey Hill ice cream back in the day. So this wasn't like a, this wasn't for a, an illustration for a sermon. Like I just like talking about, it's like you talk about the things you love, you know what I mean? You just, I would talk about Turkey Hill ice cream. And so some friends of his knew me, and they're like, oh, you should meet Chad, you know? And so I'm talking, and I'm talking to him, like I'm talking to like a celebrity who's awestruck, like I can't believe, you know, your life is the coolest thing. And he's clearly a little weirded out by me, but like he's, I'm talking to him and just like talking about, like I clearly know his product line better than he knows his product line and all this sort of stuff. And he gives me this odd look and he's just like, you know, like we're all eating the same ice cream. Like the stuff they sell at the stores, the stuff in my fridge, like, who cares whether you're related to me? Like, we're si like, there's not like some secret product that I have in my basement that like, I'm not bringing up. Like, we're all just eating the same stuff here. Like, wh what are you talking about? Like, go to the store. It's the same thing for you as it is for me. Okay, that was a long story to say this. Jesus here, when he's saying, okay, when they're saying, blessed is your mother, doing all this stuff, and he's saying, blessed, or rather, are these people, he's not downing his mother. Like, you think she's blessed. I'll tell you who's blessed. He's making the point, listen, it's not physical nearness to me. It's not being of the same lineage as me. It's not being of the same ethnicity of me that makes one blessed. Here's who's blessed. The one who has been transformed by my word and who does my word because they have my spirit. They're not my family by blood, but my family by my blood. That is who is blessed. And obedience is a sign of salvation and obedience is a path to blessing. The ultimate blessing isn't sort of being of the same lineage of Jesus. It's being known by him and knowing him. And it's following him and being his. That is it. This is true life and true joy. This is true blessedness. Now again, no one would say, a, 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 no one would, would, would say no to this, but, but a true disciple isn't, isn't just one who agrees that he is worth following and obeying and, and leaving everything for. The blessed one, the true disciple, is one who actually forsakes everything else to do so, who prizes relationship with him, who's not just, in a sense, who doesn't just sort of have it like, okay, I just need to be one who technically puts this sin to death, but I, I, I love him above my comfort and above my success and my, above my career and above my reputation, who, who he... My dreams aren't shaped by my prior passions, but they're shaped by his mission and his purpose in my life. That, that's who is blessed. Who, who see that the road of following him is, is narrow and it's difficult and it's filled of self-denial. But who just where there's, there's no other road I'd want to be on. And there's no one else I'd rather follow. And I want to spend my life looking at him and following him and pursuing him. And as I'm on this road, I don't want to get sidetracked by, by any other vistas, by any other detours. I don't want to be sidetracked by any of it. Not because that one might be sin, but because I don't want it to take, I don't want to take my eyes off of the one I'm living for and the one I'm following and the only one worth pursuing with my life. And when we, I, th I think when we lack some level of obedience, when we have an area of, in our lives where we're okay with 
sort of some disobedience, some, some half-hearted discipleship, just in some pocket of our, of, our, of our life, what we should be hearing is an alarm bell going off. Right now, God offers deliverance for deniers. Heed his voice while you can. I think what Jesus is saying could not be more clear and it could not be more sobering. When he says, whoever is not for me, verse 23, is against me and is scattered. He's making sure we know that the consequences of denial, even if we would think of it as subtle, is so serious. And So we must hear the alarm and heed his voice. We must trust him. We must trust him in saving faith. We must trust him in daily faith in our lives. But the fuel to do so isn't just the warning if we don't. I think ultimately we need to remember we're fueled by remembering why we can. Because he was one who was denied by us and he was denied for us so that we could be accepted by him. As he's talking to this group of, 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 of those who had denied him, as he's talking to this group who in subtle ways and his blasphemous way and blasphemous ways were we're denying him. And I think just to recognize we can all be sort of deceptive, we can all be sort of deniers of him in some way. It, we need to remember the one who is, who is giving us this warning isn't just saying, okay, now show perfect faith in me and, and now reform it all right. It, it was, we're hearing this. We're hearing this one. We're hearing this warning from the one who was on his way to Jerusalem to take what deniers deserved on himself. Because he is the one who took all the rejection so that we could receive his welcome. He came for us and he came to be with us so that we could be drawn in and not scattered. And the way we have life isn't by sort of bringing ourselves back into the fold. Our hope isn't our faith and our effort and all, our, our sense of I'll do better this time. Our hope is his power. Which, his power is the one that binds the strong man and conquers our heart with new life. So if you see subtle doubt in your life just, just taking hold, if you see, just as, as you think about, as you think about, boy, my, my, just, there's areas where I'm anxious. There are areas where I'm fearful. There's areas where I just, I live in a, a sense of denying his power in some way. I've given up on certain areas of growth, or I've given up in praying for certain things because I've just subtly, denial to my heart has just crept in and overcome. That Jesus is offering deliverance for that. But it's not by our self-effort. It's by Him pouring His Spirit into our lives afresh and again. And Him being the one that was denied so that we can be accepted. So, two groups just as we close, just consider if, if you've denied in some way. If, you've, if, if you recognize, I've, I've rejected Him with my life. I've never really turned to Him. I implore you to stop denying the reality of who God, of who Jesus is. And what he declares be true for those who continue to deny them with their life. But as we close, I think there might be some here too who have, they've given their heart to him. They're believers. They're trying to follow him. But different circumstances or trials or, or suffering, just recognize it's, it's shaped my view on his power. It's shaped my view on his goodness. It's shaped his view on my wisdom. Or, or, or maybe some, some, 
somewhere you just, I've, I've made peace with certain compromise in my life. I think we want to hear the alarm so that we can go to our, our Redeemer and our Rescuer, the God who gives us mercy. So I'm going to close in prayer. But then I'm going to, as, as, ben, as ben and Emily come up, I'm, as we close, after I pray, I just want to ask, if, if this is in some way just kind of feels like this, I, yep, I can identify with that. And you would want prayer. We're going to, as we sing, I'm going to ask it, I'll lead through this in just a moment, but if you would want prayer from somebody, yeah, Lord, I, I need help going to the Lord so that I could see him clearly. I've recognized that in, in my sin, in my anxiety, and just, I've, I've allowed denial to, to, to to sort of permeate my life. I've allowed circumstances to define what I think to be true of him, and we would love to pray together for you. But let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who was denied again and again and again. Who ultimately on the cross as he had all of our sin was rejected even by you so that we would be accepted. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ who has borne denial after denial after denial. Not just from blasphemers but by people seeking to follow him. Only he is strong enough. Only he is the one that can transform our hearts and give us fresh faith. So Lord, I pray that one of the effects of your word would be fresh faith for your people to view you not through the prism of our circumstances and our trials, but through what you have revealed in your word, what you have proven to be through history. Lord, any area that is not in our hearts given over to you. Lord, I pray for fresh faith to walk in obedience. And Lord, if there's anyone here who hears the alarm, who thinks it's about them, but who is tempted to ultimately just think it doesn't matter, Lord, would you ring loudly in their ears? Or would you help us, none of us to be those who hear the alarm in the warning? and brush it off. Lord, will we be those who take this seriously by your Spirit? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask if, um, if there is anybody here who, who would like prayer as, as you hear this and just think, yeah, in some ways I can, I can relate to this and I'd love to have somebody pray for me. I'm going to ask if you could slip up your hand and, and others around you will gather. Um, so if that, if that describes you in some way, if you, if you could slip up your hand and others will go as we're singing. But for everybody else, if you could stand and we'll, we'll, we'll sing together as we close.